Well, good morning once more. We are in a new series, and what a doozy was that passage, right? <laughs> hey, you know, Jimmy, I was expecting something a little bit more positive as we enter into a, a new wave. <laughs> what are we doing in Judges? We're actually going to be in a, this new series. It's going to be a, it's two books uh, that we're putting together, that we're linking together, that are naturally linked together in the Hebrew Bible, uh, that are going to lead us all the way up to the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And so it's two different series, two different books, but they are linked. Uh, and the two series is going to be Judges and Ruth. And if you're wondering, what on earth does Ruth have to do with the triumphal entry? You're probably not alone. But you'll have to wait and see. It's not quite what we had in mind. That might be what you're thinking about this series. But my wife and I took our oldest daughter to go see Sing 2 on New Year's Day. Uh, and had great fun with that. But there was a particular move, uh, moment during the previews in which we kind of cringed. Everyone was like, oh, oh boy, what are we watching right now? Because they were advertising the birthday party for Betty White. <laughs> that they were going to be doing, I think it was on the 17th was the date for the birthday party. Uh, and they had this big advertisement, but Betty had died the day before. And so it was like, oh, they forgot to tell them. Um, and seeing that... We thought, I don't think that's what the promoters had in mind when they put together that promotion. Of course, in many different ways, I think there's a lot of that. This isn't quite what we had in mind going on right now in our culture these days and in our lives. I know for me and my family, the current COVID wave is stirring this up for us. Uh, at home, uh, we are having to deal with and address daycare closures uh, and isolations that are being set up all the time. And, and we don't even have COVID. And so, but we are having to navigate that, and I know there's many families in our community with school-age kids and younger uh, who are dealing with much, much more. And outside of our own family life, when we go to work, we both have to uh, deal with what's going on with the wave. My wife, as a nurse, is seeing lots and lots of staff who are getting sick and aren't able to come in. And for my part, uh, here in the church, uh, working with and helping care for our staff and, and making sure that our staff uh, isn't uh, away or forgotten or, or lost in this process. For you, of course, it might be something different. It might look completely different. It might be something else. But for most of us, if not all of us, this is exhausting. This is exhausting stuff. A year after, you know, think about last, a year ago. I don't think we would imagine a year ago from January 2021 that we would still be contending with this in a way that might be bigger than we've ever had to contend with it before. The hopefulness, the future, once more seems to be kind of in the balance and wondering when will this all end. Again, very exhausting. And of course, in all this exhaustion, uh, if you haven't already given into complete ambivalence, if you haven't gone to a place where you're so angry you have no more words, or you find yourself emotionally taxed and spiritually depleted at this moment, let me say this. It wasn't a global pandemic in the day of the judges. That's not what they were contending with. But I have to say that that season of disruption in which the people of God lived and what they saw is not too unfamiliar from our own experience today. Those same feelings that we have with the current Omicron wave are not too dissimilar from the experience of those people back then. People who were taxed, people who were exhausted, and people who were depleted. All right, now, if you haven't read Judges before, has anybody not read Judges? No, I won't ask that. Have you, have you read Judges? Who has read Judges? You've read the book of Judges? 
Has anyone read the book of Judges recently? Less hands went up, just for those at home. Less, less hands went up. So the book of Judges, I, I was trying to think back to my, my Sunday school childhood days, to the, the way Judges was told, the way those stories were told. And as I started reading, into, reading Judges and getting ready for this series, I thought, well, that's not quite the same story that I heard back then. And I think what you're going to find out from the outset here is this is not a scrubbed fairy tale kind of story that's for sensitive ch children's ears. Um, it's probably not the way that you heard it or the way that you've heard the stories or remember the stories when you, when you hear them read aloud during our scripture readings, not just the sermons, but during the scripture readings. But instead, we have here people who are in the face of real human struggle, real human ache. The book begins with a giant of the faith, Joshua, and it says, Joshua is dead. That's how the book begins. If you remember the book of Joshua, you remember it's a big celebration of there's continuity between the great leader Moses and Joshua, and God promises to be with Joshua and to be his God. And here we have Joshua is dead. And if you miss that in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2 will say it again. And it seems that this loss of a central figure is placing the people at a time when they are adrift. Eugene Peterson will call Judges here because of this immersion in nearly unrelieved mayhem. <laughs> That's the book of Judges. Our writer will call it this in 2125, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Certain patterns will emerge in that environment, of course. And some are expected, some are not. But patterns that result in another description of this book, despicable people doing deplorable things. That's at least one description given by Tim Keller. And Tim Keller will also say, it's a dismal story. This all makes, again, for exhausting times. And that's the book of Judges we're about to enter. But it's precisely during this time that we are introduced to a series of deliverers, what we might call champions of their generation, working as agents of God's salvation and God's grace. But here's the thing. They're far from virtuous. These people aren't the type of folks we would imagine as role models. Going back to Peterson, he says it's kind of like God saying, well, this is all you're going to give me. I'll work with this. And that's the people that are seen and set forward as the champions of their era, of their age these deliverers. They don't sound like heroes at all. They sound more like unsavory characters, and we'll see that as we go through their various stories uh, here in this series. And they sound a lot like the people of their generation. They sound like the very people that they're looking to bring deliverance and salvation to. So we're jumping into our text here. Our text begins with a rather unpleasant description of the people of God. They're doing what is evil, and they're worshiping foreign deities. They're worshiping Baal and Astartes. They're banning the Lord and provoking God's anger. And for a people that are organized around their identity as God's own, people who've been rescued by God. If you remember, the Ten Commandments begin uh, not with the commands of how you're to live, not with the teachings in that respect, but rather their relationship to the one who has rescued them. And now here's the teaching of what it means to live and to be those people they seem to have forgotten that. And not only that, the very formation as God's people is forgotten. They're not living the way that their ancestors had been called to live. This covenant rejection 
cuts deep. It cuts deep on every single layer. And we'll quickly realize that it's not just about some sort of vertical disconnect that their relationship with God. But as we read through Judges, we'll see that it affects every horizontal relationship that exists. Every way that they interact with one another and the ways that the fabrics of their community exist. Everything is on the line. Everything is at risk. And everything seems to have been abandoned. The angel of the Lord will speak to the people of their unfaithfulness at the beginning of chapter 2. Text comes from chapter 2, but the very beginning, outside our text. And we'll see that what's being exhibited is something that was exhibited by God's people in the past and something that will plague them even into the future. The death of a great leader like Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, there's a lot of questions. Think about a nation when you lose a leader, any organization, when a great leader leaves that organization, there's a lot of a drift that goes on. There's a lot of question marks about what's next, who's next, how are we going to do this? You remember that at that time in Israel's history, they're getting ready to relocate finally into promised land. And the great leader who had led them through that wilderness was now going to be gone, and those question marks came up. And of course, Joshua, as I said earlier, takes the reins and is assured of the continuity of God's presence. Think of the passage, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know a lot of folks have held on to that passage personally and said, that's for me. That's how I make it through the tough spots in life. And so they echo that uh, Joshua chapter 1 text of God's comfort and presence. And perhaps you here this morning, whether you're here on campus or you're online, uh, you too have claimed that passage for yourself in your own times of uncertainty. And you recognize the reassurance that it provides. But here in Judges, here at this moment in Israel's history, God has promised to accompany God's people, but they have not reciprocated that. They have left the building. And there's a particular cycle that exists in Judges. Many of you who have studied Judges are very familiar with that cycle. You can go online and actually type in Judges cycle, and you'll probably see a number of different illustrations of this, this circle that seems to happen. We'll call it a, a no-life cycle, uh, the way that it presents itself. But here it is in summary. The people are just planted and placed, and then unfaithfulness and related consequences occurs. And when those occur, the people cry for salvation, or we hear the word groan, and those groans are heard by God. A deliverer is raised, and the people are rescued and restored. And then repeat. <laughs> the cycle continues over and over and over. And as it goes through the book of Judges, we'll see that it gets murkier and murkier as it goes along. That redemption uh, becomes further and further spread. That the evil becomes more and more expressed. And so we might call this pattern that we'll see in the book of Judges, that we see here in our text, we might call it spiritual entropy. What we see with this spiritual entropy are people who become weary. And they begin more and more to behave badly with the due consequences of disconnection from the, author, from the author and source of life and vitality that's growing more and more harder to find in their life. And they begin to become a people of God who are out in that wilderness 
and they're in need of God's care, and they begin to groan. Our text makes clear that left untended, that the spiritual entropy becomes worse and worse over time, not better. But note how the people in the time of Judges, how they talk about the consequences, as they talk about how that entropy is expressed. They'll say in verse 14 uh, that they are given over to be plundered, unable to withstand their enemies. You see, in verse 15, they're visited by misfortune and living in great distress. Of course, these are all read as curses uh, by being uh, in opposed to the covenant, but we might also understand them as real-life consequences of what's happening here. And they're an apt picture of a life of one who's disconnected and withering away. When that happens, covenant connections fray. When that happens, commitments to one another soften, if not disappear altogether. When that happens, people justify all kinds of bad behavior. And persons and their faith communities become disjointed and broken. When I think about broken, I think about my lawn. You're like, what? (laughs) Your lawn? Yes, my lawn is broken. When we bought our home in 2020, it had a few dead spots in the front yard. Not a problem. Got out there, cut out the dead spots, replanted, fed and watered. Came right back. Nice, beautiful lawn. Neighbor actually complimented me. Wow, your lawn looks great. He actually said earlier, a few weeks earlier, I don't know if that's coming back. So it was kind of remarkable that he said that. Yeah, yeah, that looks great. Sure enough, looked great all summer long. However, last summer, uh, I got E. coli before the summer started. And as I was kind of battling that and I was getting the wrong antibiotics prescribed to me and it just kept going on and on and on, I felt less inclined to deal with my lawn. Soon enough, uh, spots would appear. And then the grubs moved in and the crows finished off the rest. <laughs> So much so that the HOA sent me a letter. (laughs) Haven't seen my neighbor since. (laughs) But right, lack of attention invites entropy to take its course. Lack of attention. In my lawn and in our lives. We see that with the people at the time of Judges. Spiritual entropy is not simply an artifact from another time. It's not something left to the past or to the ancients. These are realities that we contend with in every single generation, even our own generation. We gravitate to the errors of the past in much the same way a moth goes to light. As much as we convince ourselves as moderns that uh, we're not inclined to do those things, we've grown up, we're so more advanced, uh, we realize we're not. The 20th century stage and screen actor Tallulah Bankhead is credited with saying this, if I had to live my life again, I'd make the same mistakes, only sooner. And I think I think that echoes very much um, the challenges that we face in our own day and age. From the beginning, the Christian community was contending with this kind of spiritual entropy. Remember, in the first century, there was an early Christian writer who writes in the book of Hebrews. He writes to his audience and encourages them not to give up meeting together, but instead to look for ways to consider how they might provoke one another to love and good deeds. You don't write that to a community that's meeting together and not having problems with that. So they recognize the spiritual entropy in their own community in the first century. The Apostle Paul, of course, will write to the church in 1 Corinthians to run in such a way as to get the prize. He also will say in Galatians to not grow weary in doing good. Again, writing to audiences that in that first century 
only a few decades after uh, Christ's death and resurrection, that entropy was already taking place. And all this encouraging and provoking would not be necessary, again, if spiritual entropy were not taking form in the life of the fledgling Christian community. But it was, and it has been, ever since. And so the church, what do we do? We regularly draw to confession and repentance. We're always looking to reform according to the word of God because we recognize that we need to tend to those places lest we be adrift as well. So then the question comes here. This sounds like a dreary, real downer of a series. (laughs) Wow, Jimmy, that's the first sermon in the series. And you already told me it gets worse. What are we going to do? Is there any good news to be heard in any of this? Well, there is. There always is. There's a little line that shows up throughout the scripture, even so. Even so. Even when the circumstances look at their worst. Even when the groans are the loudest, we see little winks of gospel, of good news. Let me draw out a few of these for us in conclusion here this morning. First one's this, the Lord heard their groans. The Lord heard their groans. That's in verse 18. That's a fact. It's the quality of our creator that we see here in Judges. God hears the cries of people. God hears our whimpers and our groans, our sighs. Whether we were enslaved in Egypt, where God's people once were, they're heard. Or maybe we're alone and cast off in the wilderness like a mother with her child cast off by a patriarch. They're hurt. God hears those cries. So we might say in our own day and age, stop your complaining. Stop your crying. Get over it. And I'd say, no. Keep crying. Keep groaning. Keep sighing. Because the Holy Spirit will turn those into prayers. And God hears those groans. So don't hide them. Don't stuff them down. But rather let the pain of the circumstance, the situation truly go out as a prayer, as a faithful expression of your desire of the one who does, in fact, hear those groans and those cries. Isn't that good news? That's only one. I got two more. (laughs) The Lord raises up judges and deliverers. We also see that in our text this morning. Verse 16. In due time. In due time. God doesn't just hear those groans and say, ah, ah. Okay, okay, come on, keep going. But God raises up deliverers. God raises up folks to come into those situations who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to step into the lives of God's people and raises them up that they might be champions for us in our own generation. Of course, we can't uh, stop there because we have a deliverer who has been raised up. We think of the person of Jesus Christ. And the power that exists in that event, we can call that event, maybe with a capital E. God's love so shown to us in Jesus Christ that we might ultimately see deliverance, that we might ultimately see healing and God's presence to us, even in the darkest hour. And so to know that God raises up those who come in that power as deliverance, and who knows, who knows, Maybe in a smaller sense that God might be raising you up to step into a very particular role to serve in a powerful expression 
of deliverance and comfort in this community when it's needed most in the places where you serve across this landscape. The third one is this. The Lord not only raises up those deliverers, and not only does the Lord hear the groans of God's people uh, as they struggle and suffer, but this, the Lord was with the judge and or the deliverer. We see that again in verse 18. That God goes with them. That God doesn't raise them up and throw them out there and say, now now go win the game. But God accompanies them. That God goes out with them, empowering them. They're not alone. And here's the thing. You're not either. Pentecost tells us as much. Jesus said as much to his disciples. That I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit coming down on the nations. Coming down on disciples, empowering them. That they might know God's powerful presence. And as we gather in worship each week, we're not just going through motions. When we come to the table, we come to a table that's set before us where a host welcomes us and promises us that we might know God's grace and be empowered and strengthened for the journey ahead because Jesus Christ is present to us in the meal by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we gather around the table, we're participating in something that God has been doing for a long, long time. And this morning as we gather here in this space, and we ordain and install leaders, we also recognize that God's presence and power goes with them, that God strengthens them and has called them, that God has prepared them for a particular work and a job within this community, within this congregation. And so trusting the one who is trustworthy, putting our faith in the one who has been faithful to us, we also recognize this to be true in our day and age, that God is with those God calls. God raises up deliverers, God empowers them, and God hears our groans. That's a lot of good news. That's a lot of good news in the not very long passage. And that's how God continues to take action on behalf of God's people. Hearing, taking action, accompanying and empowering. And so it takes a little imagination at this point to know who the real hero is in this series. It's not you. It's certainly not Samson. But it's the one who has been with all of us throughout the history of humanity, even today and forever. Amen. Friends, let us pray together.